generation, the previous generation, to be able to help the following generations move forward in all of these things. Because when God creates something, and he creates a system, and he creates a structure, it is good. At the very end of Genesis 1, when he finished creating everything, he looked at it, and what did he say? He saw that it was good. So when God creates something, and God creates a way of doing something, we have to see it as it is, it is a good thing. We may not always like it. We may not always agree with it. But we look at it, and we say, okay, what do we know about God? Is he good? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. Is he able? Yes. So if there's something that's mentioned in his word about how things should be, and we have a problem with it, the answer is not, oh, well, we've we got to change that, or we've got to find a way around that. No, the, the, what needs to change is us. And so I'm hoping that as we look at this passage, and I will tell you right up front, I have one particular thing that I am thinking of right now. So most of you, if you've uh, turned on the news, you have, if you still dare to do that, um, but some of those of you who have turned on the news, you will see that there was an egregious breach of protocol with a brief by Samuel Alito, who was one of our Supreme Court justices, that there was a breach of protocol by releasing what his brief was going to be in regards to Roe v. Wade. I will tell you right up front, that does not engender any kind of trust anywhere at all when something like that is released. That is the first time that's happened like that in our country. And so now we have Supreme Court justices who have people that are gathering outside of their house, um, chanting, trying to influence, trying to do all of these things. And both sides of the aisle are really kind of taking advantage of this opportunity that they may see to be able to move things forward. And it must be said, because I know this is something that's near and dear to a lot of our hearts, when we talk about Roe v. Wade and, and the courts possibly, you know, going against it what they're not saying they're not saying that abor abortion is going to be illegal what it's going to do is throw it back to the states and so now we've already we've got about 20 some states that already have laws in place to go one way and then the other states have laws in place to go another way tesla has already come out and said because of this that anybody that needs to fly out of state to have an abortion then they will pay for the whole they'll pay for all the travel expenses you didn't know that yeah, so when, we are, when we're seeing things along this line, and we'll get a little bit more into it, to me, that is, that is a flashpoint of how people see motherhood in our culture. And we're going to look at that. And so I didn't tell Craig I was going to do this. Craig, we're just going to go one, two, three, right at the beginning of all of the points. So we're, I'm going to give you time to write it down. And then if you want to take more notes, that's great. If you want to just listen, that's fine. But I want to make sure we capture all of these points right at the front. There's been times when I've missed them, Right? And you've come up to me afterwards, what's the blank? And I don't want to cause you distress. I don't want to do that, right? So here, here's the first one. The culture demands their rights. Christians delight in relationship. The culture demands their rights. And I didn't want to bring back the 80s with the little air quotes. So I thought, we'll just keep it like this. The culture demands their rights. Christians delight in relationship. Number two. The culture sees children as burdens. Christians see them as blessings. And the reason we see them as blessings is because the Bible tells us that they are blessings from the Lord. Got it? Number three. The culture believes motherhood stunts growth. That's an actual quote, by the way, from someone. 
but Christians know it sanctifies growth. Okay, got all that? No? <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. So we'll make sure we get them on the, on the other side. This is one of the reasons why I actually go back and forth with providing blanks or not. I mean, sometimes people just need to hear the impression. Sometimes people need to write it down. We try to be all things to all people. So the ball means you may get some as far as the, the notes are concerned. But let's go back to this first one. So we'll, 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 we will go back and have them. So the culture demands their rights. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, Pro, Proverbs 19.26 says that he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. So regardless of the mom and dad that we may have been given, we have to make sure that we are treating them with the honor that they, they have as followers of Jesus. They, you may say, well, they don't deserve it. That's, that's, that's beside the point. They may not have done anything on this level for, for them to be able to deserve it, but as far as being a follower of Jesus, that is the mom and dad that God has given. And so we need to make sure that we are taking those steps to honor them and to talk to them and to try to connect with them as best as we can. But we hear a great deal about rights and Again, with that recent leak from the Supreme Court to, to that political to politico news outlet, we are now seeing about how people are saying that abortion now is a fundamental right. It's a fundamental right. Act, actress Scarlett Johansson famously said that abortion is no longer a women's right issue, but a human rights issue. And so, when again, with Tesla now announcing that, so we see that there is a significant line of, of demarcation in regards to what people believe their rights are and who have those rights. And so it all, it's going to come down to how you define personhood. So it, you, you can, they, there may be some that say, well, I know that that is a person, that is a body in the womb, but is it a person? And when does someone become a person? And the things that I've said over and over was some people have said, well, it's, you know, when, they're, when they have certain things going on in the womb that they're able to do, where they're able to feel and suck thumbs and such, or when they take that first breath of air, or when they learn algebra, right? Someone actually said, when you can actually be able to learn algebra, some of you in this room might not be persons at all. I don't know if I am under that definition. Because, I mean, I didn't do well in that. But you, but, but you see what, what happens is, is that everybody has their line of demarcation as far as what viability is. And usually what it is is, I'm viable, you're not. They never say of themselves, I'm not viable. And you can see where this can go. But when it comes to, to moms, it, it, it's this idea of, is this, th is this person really a person that is in there. And where we get the language of rights, of course, is from our Declaration of Independence. And if you notice how the Declaration of Independence frames some of this thing, you can see how anybody who's wanting to do anything can latch on to this because we're endowed with our Creator, by our Creator, with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if someone comes along and they say, well, I believe that I am due the life that I need to be living and I need to be free to do whatever I want, I need to be happy, you can see how a child, when we talk about this second one, how a child can be a burden and not a blessing. Let me tell you what has happened in our culture. 
what has happened in our culture, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in Proverbs 5, is where sexual relationships, and I'm sorry if I'm running ahead of some parents in here, but where sexual relationships have been removed from um, reproduction, childbearing. And so what has happened is, is that some want to have that activity and yet not have the consequences of it. So that's why there's all sorts of protections that are there to prevent that from happening. And so when, when you go when you go into those relationships, and sometimes those relationships, people don't even know each other's names. They don't want to know their backstory. They don't want to know anything about it. They just want to engage in that activity. And then if that's all that there is, and you do all of this stuff to prevent a child from coming along, and then a child comes along, what happens? You're not prepared for it. You weren't expecting it. It was this, it was this, it was this. And suddenly the child becomes a burden. And you're running through all of these things. What do we do? Now, what we have to recognize, too, on some of these things is that when we're, when we're talking about the abortion issue, there will be people that will bring up, well, 2% of those things become because of a, of a forcible rec, uh, relationship that happened that wasn't a relationship at all, but that was forced of them. Rape, that's 2%. So 97%, if you, th- if you are really honest, 97% of those relationships that happen, took place took place because of a choice that was made on the part of the mom and the dad. They made that choice. And so the reason that we as Christians don't talk about rights, we talk about relationships, is on on a number of levels. One, we believe that that is a person that is in there. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, for you formed. Who's you? Well, make sure you're with me. Yeah, for you, for God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together where? In my mother's womb. You know the verse. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My, my soul knows it very well. The child that comes along from whatever the basis of those, that engagement that, that happens, that child that comes along is an innocent bystander and has no voice. And now is counting on a mom to do the right thing. And when we, when we begin to talk about abortion being health care, that's what they say. Abortion is, is health care. For who? Because that child's not making it out. So we've got to really be careful of the generation. There have been 60 million children, unborn children, that have been aborted since Roe v. Wade came into being. And it's hundreds of millions worldwide since that's happened. Hundreds of millions. And so when we look at this, you're going to have people come up to you and they're going to say this. Well, the pro-life movement is a religious movement, as if that's something bad. You, you realize that's where we're at right now. We are in, a, in such a secular culture right now that anything that is seen as of God or of the Bible or religious is not seen as something that is tenable in our intellectual progressive mindset in our culture. Okay, but let me ask you this. Aren't you operating by faith that what you're believing is, is correct? You're operating, if you're on the other side of that, you're operating by faith that, that, that that's correct. When the pro-life movement first began, it began 
when we're talking about this, late 60s, early 70s, and especially when Roe v. Wade came about, when it first started out, there were no ultrasounds. We didn't know what was going on in there. Now we have ultrasounds. Now we know the babies can feel pain. Now we know that they are sucking on their thumb. Now we know very, very early on at six weeks, everything that makes them them is there. And the only reason it's six weeks is because that's when we can see it. So that's where I'm, I'm even to the, I'm to the point right now where I'm like, you know, it's where some want to do, you know, 20 weeks. You know what's going on in that child at 20 weeks? But that's where the laws are. And it's a compromise with the pro-abortion group. Well, we're only, we're only going to go to, to, you know, 20 weeks. How's 20 weeks, seven, how's 18? Do I hear 16? Do I hear 14? When it really, it all goes all the way back, way back to where you can see it at six weeks. I say it. It's a child. We just don't know what the, the, the sex of it is at that point. I got to be, I make sure that I'm being clear on that. So I'm not apologizing that the, the pro-life movement might be a religious movement. If God has said something in his word about how he has created things and how he has made things in the womb, fine. But, but be honest on the other side that when you're talking about abortion rights, you are going by faith that that is not a true child in the womb. You can call it a fetus. You can call it an embryo. You can call it all of this. But it is an indictment. We've got to be careful. It is an indictment of what the culture is trying to say about motherhood. And we've got to make sure that we are recognizing the consequences of it all. Because if you begin to see a child as a consequence of something that you did, hoping that child wouldn't come along, that's an, that's an indicator as well. When we talk about the culture seeing children as burdens and Christians seeing them as blessings, please, motherhood, I've never been a mother. Which, sure, but I have seen what my mom went through with us three, the, my, my brother, my sister, and myself. I have seen the mother that lives in our house and what she does and how she stops, keeps up with everything. I mean, she's in the middle of work, and she is texting our kids about, make sure you do this, make sure you go talk to this person, make sure you go handle this. And she's in the middle of working at a hospital. She takes a little break just to make sure that the kids are doing what they need to be doing. And they're like, who is this woman that is doing this? I mean, I thought she was working. Yeah, she's working, but she's always working. She's always making sure that things are set in the house and, and setting us where we need to be going. I am, I am, I am grateful for that. My, my um, wife's mom, um, Cindy's dad left when she was two. And so... Um, her mom, so she stayed with us as a single mom. She had her mom as a single mom for the majority of her growing up, but her mom had a job, went to nursing school, took care of things around the house. She took care of business, and that work ethic translated over, and, and Cindy saw that, and, so, and Cindy is the same way in taking care of business. That's moms. These are the moms that we see. And sometimes these moms have to do this under duress. There, there are other things that are going on in their life they have no control over, but they still got to get the job done. Man, is that something to behold? And no wonder that when we see in the scriptures how elevated, which was very anti-cultural to what the culture was when the Bible was written during all of those times, and that the Bible is, is lifting up moms in such an unbelievable way. That's why it, in Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father, a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. My kids have not left the house yet, 
but I've talked to some of you who, and I, who, whose kids have, and I've asked you, I'm like, do you quit, ever quit worrying about them? No. Now, we could put it another way. Do you ever get concerned about them? Because I know we're not supposed to worry. I got it. But do you ever get concerned about them? Do you, are they, they're always on your mind. Yes. I, and I'm now seeing that. Prom was last night. Kids got home around, three, about around 4 o'clock in the morning. They got home when they were supposed to. Thank the Lord they got home when they were supposed to, right? But I didn't sleep well last night. So you might get a rambling sermon this morning if you haven't already. But I, I didn't sleep that well last night because I, because I just could not get into that deep sleep. How are they doing? How are they doing? How are they doing? But a, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And I think that, that was always something for me. I never wanted to embarrass my mom. I didn't really think much about dad embarrassing him in that way. There was other things that I was thinking about with him. But I never wanted to embarrass my mom. Because if, if I did something and I told my mom about it and she would do this, oh, hush. Oh, wrecked, wrecked, absolutely wrecked. And, and, and that just, you know, and it's still that way. I'm 50 years old, she's 85. And, you know, she doesn't get that much from me. But if, you know, if she ever did that to me even now, oh, man, I'd just be just totally fried. It'd be terrible. But even as Christian parents, there is a, there is a, a, a difficulty and a challenge to it all because you're raising other human beings who are fellow sinners like yourself trying to help them to understand and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that is a blessing but when you start hearing other people talk about how um, you know, children end up becoming burdens my body my choice well now we know from science, remember science? Remember when Christians used to be anti-science? And now we're, we're very pro-science because we, now we know that that child in there has its own DNA. That is another person. And yet Christians, Christians come to me and say that is up to between them and the doctor. And if the doctor and them, that's, no, it's not up between just you and the doctor. It's up, it's up between you and Dr. Jesus to see what he has been saying about who that child is in the womb. And we have to be very, very careful. Eileen McDonough, who's a political science in the UK, she once wrote that a fetus makes a woman pregnant without her consent and yet, and, and as such, it severely violates her bodily integrity and liberty. The fetus's imposition constitutes injury sufficient to justify the deadly force to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's bad when it elicits a reaction like that in church. Because what's he say, saying is that the, the fetus, right, which is Latin for baby, by the way. But the fetus, it's like a parasite. It's, a, it's like an invader. Everybody, we're talking about the wrong things. We're not just, we're, we're spending all our time talking about legislation, and we need to be talking about sanctification. Because how in the world did that child get to be there? That child got to be there because of an activity that happened. 97% of the time was by the choice of the person doing it. And yet they have the unmitigated gall to turn it around and say, if it makes a woman pregnant without her consent. 
Are we seeing the logical flaws in how this is going on? And it's no wonder now that Planned Parenthood is called, called by some people health care organizations. It's not healthy for the baby at all. And that's where we have to realize where we're at. And, it's, it, and this makes sense. Again, what, as I talked about earlier, what Eileen McDonough just said, it makes sense if you're separating sexual activity from procreation. God never separated that. He, he, he put those together. Yes, there are occasions in Scripture where there were some who were, were barren and were not able to. I mean, we, think of, we, th- we can think of Hannah and we can think of um, uh, Elizabeth. We can think of a number of people who were barren. Rachel, right? Or, you know, she was one. We can think of a number of people in Scripture where, where, that, where there was a barrenness that went on. But the economy of it all, all the way around is this, is that sexual activity and procreation are together. And we've got to be really careful when we make decisions to separate those things out. Because if we do, and we're trying to have this, but we don't want this, and then this comes along, oh no! What are we going to do? And then lots of decisions have to be made as a ripple effect because of the one decision that was made at the very beginning. Romans 1, 26 and 27 says this. For this reason... Uh, for what reason? For the reason, the fact that they began to ignore the Creator and they began to worship the things created. It says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in, in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, when I just read that, in some countries, I could have probably been thrown in jail. Especially verse 27. But verse 26 is not just talking about the one thing that's talking about with men. It's also talking about that they have decided to exchange the natural relations, not only that that women would have for men, but also the natural relations that women would have for their offspring. And that is a sign of a culture that God has given up on. God has given up on that. And when we see things like this with Samuel Alito's brief that, is, that was released, again, such a breach, such a breach, but that was, re- that was released, and now we are seeing where everybody's at. And now we're seeing the chance, and now we're seeing... The, the influences, both sides of the aisle. We see the line of demarcation. We see the division in, in our country over something along this line. And we see it even being embraced by our political leaders. And if there are other political leaders that decide to go against that, they are shouted down. Do you see where we're at? You know, um, President Obama a long time ago, he, he caught a lot of flack that I don't think he deserved. He said that he doesn't believe that America is a Christian nation. Now, we may have started that way. We may have started that way, and I think, I think there's, there are benefits to being able to go back to the beginning in certain ways. I think now with hindsight, there's things that we can certainly, we can certainly fix and then not be such chickens on the slave issue. But I think all in all, there's a lot of things that we can go back and fix. 
But I think he's right. Because if the United States of America is being led in every single aspect in our country, and hear me out, because that may be the only thing you hear, you just tune me out, and I'm never coming back. Come on, let's, let's, do, let's be better. Hear, hear what I'm saying. If everything that God is saying in his word, our culture is careening away from, everything, everything that our culture, name it. Our culture, we found 18 different things in Genesis 1 and 2 that, are, that is a design that God set up for a culture, and our culture is moving away from. 18 different things mentioned in two chapters, the first two chapters. We, there is a reason why we need a revival here in the truest sense. Not just a bunch of, of, of services necessarily. What we're talking about here is a revival of the church. Because where does the judgment begins where? Well, 1 Peter 4.17 says the judgment begins at the house of God. We cannot expect non-believers to act like believers. We can't expect that. If Jesus is not their Lord, we can't be putting that on them to say Jesus is Lord. What's going on in the church? Are we, are we silent on these things? Are we compromising? Well, 20 weeks is okay. No, it's, 20 weeks is not okay. When, when we begin to look and see what God is saying, Psalm 127, four, verses 4 to 6, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. For the, the fruit of the womb of reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. In the biblical economy, children are a blessing, and they're not a burden, and it helps us in our growth. Linda Hirschman, about a decade and a half ago of the Chicago Tribune, once basically said that motherhood, if, if, if you end up making the choice to stay home with your children, then you are making a mistake. You are depriving the culture of your gifts and your talents and your intellect and your know-how. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Motherhood is bad for society, she says. Really? Think about the times that maybe your mom has poured into you. My brother and, and I, we had a conversation the other day, and my mom, which, who, she's about five foot two and a buck oh five, right? She is, she is a, a, a little lady. You'll meet her um, 22nd. She'll be, you'll, you'll see her here on 22nd. Mom and dad are coming out with some of Cindy's family. But she's the backbone of our family. Dad was traveling a lot. Mom was there. If there was something that needed to be done at school, mom would show up. Mom would be there, and she was tough. And if a Jehovah's Witness showed up at the door, those poor people. I mean, I mean they, would, they would leave. They would, they would, like, run off. Because she, she just, she saw them not only as a, as, as a threat because of how they viewed Jesus, how they viewed salvation. She saw them as a threat not only just in general, but she didn't want our, us to be influenced by that. And the more we got to know and understand, we, we got where she was coming from. So that's why many of you, you're, you look at your mom and you're able to rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Encouragement. 
So if your child and your mom is still alive, I know some of you that's not the case for you and this is a tough day. But if your mom is still alive and there's anything good that she did, again, you may have had a tough upbringing, but if there's anything good that she did, this is a day to call her up and tell her that. And if there's a lot that she did, then spend time with her telling her all that she has meant to you. If, and if you can do that, that will be a Mother's Day well spent. Husbands, if you're seeing your, your, your wife, you know, because some husbands don't appreciate their wives. And shame on them and they need to repent. Especially if the wives are there as moms taking care of business. You let them know. Because when you live with somebody else, you see the good stuff they do, but you also see the bad stuff they do. And for whatever reason in our culture and in our, in our human nature, it's easier to mention the bad stuff. Oh, why are you doing it that way? Why you got, hey, hmm. You know, maybe you just, just stop and begin to think all the good things and, and mention that to her. And if you do, that will be a Mother's Day for you that will be well spent. Friends, as, as we land this plane of a sermon, anything that God calls good is going to grow us and make us better and make us stronger. And this is one of those things. Father's Day is a few weeks away. We're going to talk about that as well. But it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of overlap. But what I want you to know is that anything that God calls good, and we get away from, that will destroy us. That will decay us, not grow us. It'll decay us. It'll bring death. And if we miss out on that, then what we're doing is we're giving a witness to the world that what God's word and what God's way is, it's not worth it. We must never ever be ashamed of what God has set up. We must never be ashamed of what he has done. And the bloody cross and the empty tomb scream out to us that everything that is said that God said in his word was sealed with a seal of approval that everything that he has said it is so and it is good. And we need to make sure that we are not backing off. There may be a letter or an email we need to send to our senators or our congressmen or our representatives. There may be a conversation you need to have with someone on this matter. You may not change their mind, but you're planting a seed. There may be a, a recognition that God has called us to life and called us to others, not called us to death and not called us to self. Because when I hear rights, you know what I hear? I hear this is what I want to do, and you can't say anything to me. No, who's the giver of anything that we have? God is the giver of those rights. And if you say you have a right that God has said is gone, that right needs, that right needs to be left behind because this is what God has said. When Cain killed Abel, when Cain killed Abel, God approached Cain and said, 
the blood of your brother is crying up to me from the ground. We live in a nation where that red, white, and blue flag stands for freedom. And if that's who we are as Christians, and we recognize what true freedom is, and that freedom is life, how many unborn children, how much of their blood is crying up from this country, from the ground, from those doctor's offices, from those health care areas, I say health care, for who? Because it's not health care for that child. There is blood that is crying up from the ground to the throne of God. And we know about it. We will be held without excuse. What can we do? Let's begin to think of ways that we can speak for them and speak for their rights as followers of Jesus. I'd better pray. Father, help me and help us as a father as, as Christians not to look at this simply as theory or to just click our tongues and say, wow, that is just really terrible that that's going on. Father, I just pray that you would help us to see what is happening around us and to see... And to see the victims that are going on. But Lord, we also know that there are moms who have been told that this is the only way. This is the only way out. Your life will be better if this is not going on. And their lives are not better. Their lives are not better. No matter how much they may say so. In the quiet of the night, the lives are not better. So I pray, Father, that as we are, are ones who are recognizing the issues that are going on, we know that since Christ arose from the dead that you're about life and that you're about hope and you're about peace and you're about caring for others, even if it may be a burden or an inconvenience. Lord, as far as the world is, con- is concerned, Lord, everything that you have given is good. And I pray you would help us, Lord, to recognize what's happening in our country and to do what we can by the power of, our, of your Holy Spirit to be able to move things back. And to be able to help others who are struggling to be able to see the hope and joy that can only be found in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We are getting ready to sing a, time, sing a song for our time of invitation and commitment. It's a song that was written a number of years ago by, uh, by Fanny Crosby. If you know anything about Fanny Crosby, she didn't come to Christ until she, until she was about 44, but when she was six months old, six months old, the doctor put hot poultices on her eye. They thought that that was going to be able to draw out the infection, and it rendered her blind. But she ended up writing about 8,800 hymns, among which are these. This one, To God Be the Glory. Great things he has done. Anything that God has done is good. Amen? Amen. So let's sing about how he has brought glory through his son Jesus, the goodest of all the good. Let's stand together (laughs) as we sing. (laughs) 